you're going through a design process right now, this podcast is going to be very helpful. We cover the ins, outs, costs, and other things with a design leader for nonprofits. This is Using the Whole Whale, stories of data and technology in the social impact world. My name is George Weiner, your host and the chief whaler of wholewhale.com. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to episode 75. We are speaking with Josh Ryman from Great Believer. He is the founder and president there, and they are a nonprofit-focused creative services agency. Lots to share with regard to how to think about design, how to manage design. Uh, Is it time to redesign? You see where we're going. We have some fun with it and discuss things like templates and cost and, and how you can get the most uh, out of your designer, be they freelance or a firm. So here we go. We'll jump into it. I'm here with Josh Ryman from Great Believer. He is the founder and president of Great Believer, a nonprofit focused creative services agency. Josh, thanks for joining us, man. Thank you for having me, George. So can you explain exactly what a nonprofit-focused creative services agency does? That's a good question. Let's let's kind of dissect the mouthful. I mean, what we try to consider ourselves is there's really four buckets we operate within. And for each of these buckets, we do exclusively work with nonprofits. Um, our primary offering, I would say the vast majority of projects we do revolve around website design and website development. And we have three other areas of focus. Um, branding, both visual and verbal side of things, video, both animated and live action. And we also do print work, for example, annual reports. So that's how we try to define ourselves around those four buckets. And in your mind, how would you how would you answer the following question with regard to why does design matter for nonprofits? Uh, doesn't a nonprofit need to be focused on you know the social impact, working on the ground, you know, engaging stakeholders and so on? Definitely. The the short answer to your question is, is look around. Um, When you when you take in so many nonprofit websites, just in a general perusal of the Web, there are just so many that are are so far behind trend launched seven, eight, nine years ago using archaic systems, the kind of websites that can't be managed internally. And to your second point, there is this this domino effect when we find when an effort and attention and some funding is put into a website, it tends to spill over into the, the social impact on the ground. Mm-hmm. And so, all right, I'm sitting here, I'm you know running my organization and maybe in the back of my mind, I'm like, well, we updated the website a few years back. Uh, how can I tell, Josh, if, uh, if my brand and design is lame? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, and I guess there's a lot of ways to look at it. You can... Certainly a lot of groups we work with speak to their stakeholders when they're debating the, uh, the merits of a, of a redesign. So they'll talk to the, the clients they serve. They'll talk to some board members, some staff, um, and even to get some fresh opinions, some people that are new to the organization or have never heard of it before. Um, getting those insights is, is really key. And I think another way to do it is if organizations have peers in the field, have a conversation about the kind of results that you're getting from your website, whether it's donations, email signups, volunteers, event RSVPs, whatever it might be, to see if your numbers, even in a very broad sense, are, 
are somewhat aligned with that of your peers. At this point, do you just have like the spidey sense? Can you just like pull up a website and be like, oh boy, that is tough. I see a lot of drop shadows here and a lot of you're killing the internets. <laughs> well, our spidey sense definitely tingles when we see a drop shadow or maybe some overusage of gradients or something that feels a little 2009. And there is that surface level spidey sense that starts to indicate on an aesthetic level that this group can need some help. Then there's that next level where we take a look at the systems they're using for donations. A lot of groups we work with are, are just using PayPal and there's no CRM that information is being fed into. So just one example, but there there is that initial glance, but there's also a lot more going on underneath the hood that we can get a better feel for once we dive deeper. Okay, so walk me through your, we'll call it, design Maslow hierarchy of needs. Where where am I when I first start off with you? Can you walk us through the phases and what you're looking at and paying attention to? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, it's where do we start from design? What we'll do is, and I'm, I'm looking ahead a little bit because once we start to work together with an, an organization, during kickoff, we spend a lot of time looking at their peers and assessing where they sit, and especially assessing if the group that we're working with is maybe larger, more renowned, has more of a focus on it worldwide, and still can't really compete with an up, upstart organization in the same space. Um, we'll take a look. I mean, the, the most important thing, and it's not the only way people come to websites, obviously, but we'll, we'll look at the homepage, and we'll just do a very baseline comparison on some of the aesthetics they're using. The, the main thing that we'll focus on initially is the brand. And we know that a rebrand for uh, an organization with tons of loyal supporters and 20, 30, 40 years of support can be a challenging endeavor, but it really does all flow from that. So in terms of the, the hierarchy, we'll look at the logo and we'll discuss, is it something that's on the table that can maybe, maybe be tweaked slightly, um, evolved in a more comprehensive way, or completely torn down and start anew? Gotcha. What do you mean when you say the word brand? Yeah, brand is a it's a pretty pretty loose term, but for us when we're looking at aesthetics, we'll we'll take a look at a couple core pieces. So we'll look at the logo and does the logo have an icon? And is there that kind of graphical symbol that sits next to the text, the name of the organization? And if so, how well does it represent the organization? We work with a lot of groups whose logo was built or designed in a time where the organization focused on one thing and now they focus on something else. That's a good place to start. We'll look at fonts, we'll see how modern are they? And also, in terms of the feelings they evoke, does it feel like it syncs up to the purpose of the organization? If it's a more formal group, maybe it's a, you know, a more rigid serif font, if it's something where you want some warm and fuzzies, something a little more sans serif and, and bubbly could do the do the trick. And the third piece of the brand is the color palette. Um, we'll take a peek at what they're using and make sure that it's resonating, make sure the colors fit well together. And all this information all comes together in a brand guidelines document, which runs through the ins and outs of these pieces, as well as the do's and don'ts of how to use your logo and your business cards and letterhead and all things relating to the brand. A lot of groups we work with don't have brand guidelines, or if they do, they're severely outdated. So oftentimes when we finish a project, once we have evolved the logo, introduced new colors, introduced new fonts, we'll create a brand guidelines deck to let people, to, to ensure the group uses 
their newly formed brand consistently, both internally and externally. So what is the kind of checklist that it seems like you're going through? I've heard like, all right, we got to look at your logo. We got to look at your homepage. Uh, we need a brand guidelines to make sure that, you know, you aren't going off the rails. Uh, what are those you know, checklist items for you? Those are big ones, but I will say that we're talking about aesthetics a lot. The biggest checklist item for us is to learn a little bit about how the current site is managed and, and how easy it can be managed. Most of the time, a group that we work with is in control of the site, but I, I use the word control loosely because it might not be as friendly of a CMS as say something like WordPress, where changes can be easily made. And I would say the most common request that we hear on all the RFPs we get and every project we go after is it's too hard to manage our website. We have to use an external developer who costs us a ton and is difficult to track down to make even the smallest of changes, to remove a staff member, to add a slide to the homepage. So getting a better understanding for where the organization sits in terms of their ability to or to not manage the site with ease is, I would say, numero uno on our checklist. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because of these tools, you mentioned CMS, the content management system, a popular one, WordPress, that allows you to, to manage those elements Anything you can see, frankly, without a developer is important. One of the things I noticed with the rise of content management systems and the expectation that staff suddenly is publishing web pages, which if it were, you know, early 2000, you'd be like, wait a minute, I'm not a web developer. Why am I in charge of creating website pages? Why am I in charge of managing all of these graphics on social media? I'm not a designer. This is a new expectation placed on nonprofits. So my question here. My question here is, what is your advice to the accidental designer? <laughs> I like that term. Oftentimes, the accidental designer is, is an accident. Sometimes we, we kind of implore it once we finish a website because when we finish most projects, the plan is always, let's make this thing from scratch. Let's build a site that represents you and you only. And then let's hand over the keys and let you guys take control. And with the CMS comes a certain level, a pretty significant level of control over the site, the pages, the content, but the design is a whole nother conversation. So for those kind of groups, the first thing we'll recommend is work with the vendor that you're partnering with closely to find out if there are pieces on the site that will quickly grow outdated that you, the accidental designer, can update. For example, let's say there's an infographic that represents the number of people you serve each year. Well. 2018 is right around the corner, that number is going to change. But if you have the requisite design software, it's a very easy change to change a number, to manipulate a graphic, to save things back out and upload it back to the site. And that's why we always recommend the groups that we work with, especially once we complete the site, get Creative Cloud. And in particular, focused on Photoshop, which is not very expensive. I believe it's $20 a month for any organization to sign up for. And we will do little mini training sessions and maybe loop it into our larger website training session to make sure that we diagnose the pieces of the site that will quickly grow outdated and really show in a face-to-face in -face manner how easy it can be to keep those pieces up to date. Yeah, I think the self-sufficiency is important, but you know, sometimes I, in, in my own personal experience, giving somebody Photoshop without training 
is like giving a toddler a Formula One race car. Like <laughs> nothing good's gonna happen. Like maybe right. they can't start the thing, and God forbid if they do, they're gonna be creating the you know, hey, doesn't this look good? Type of new designs and train wrecks uh, that then get passed <laughs> off. Um, so where where is the balance there? Again, going back to it, what is the like? The self-admitted, I know nothing about design. How do I like fake it? I don't even want to make it. I just want to like, what do I do to make sure I'm not dropping that shadow, adding in graphics that are like a mix of flat and realistic and so on. Totally. And that's, that's a good point. When it comes to Photoshop, you open the program and you just look at it and you're like, oh my God, I don't even know where to start. And through little mini training sessions, we'll show how to do very, very simple things, but not demonstrate things that may go above and beyond their skill set. So we'll start with photo cropping. We'll start with opening an asset and making a slight change to it. We'll start with uploading imagery into Photoshop and making very minor changes. Because you're right, it definitely is a crawl before you walk, I guess, to bring it back to the, the toddler in a Formula One race car analogy. And we don't want people to to feel like they're being pushed beyond their means. But also, to be frank, we don't want people to feel empowered to go nuts. That's also why we, with every project we launch, we always try to begin a maintenance contract because we want to, of course, help ensure the website's successful, but also be able to have a system of checks and balances where we may notice something on the site that, to be frank, doesn't look too great. And we'll just drop an email and say, like, hey, you know, it looks like this image is is this pixel height. It should be this pixel height. It's just a small change. Here's a reminder how to do it. And little check-ins like that help help the site to keep on track. And then in the in the actual trainings, what kind of advice do you find yourself giving the most? The not with regard to like, all right, click on this layer or that layer, or remember the difference between flag versus rasterize versus vector. Uh, so for instance, some of the better advice that I got when I was being forced to be a designer was do less. <laughs> yeah, we, I, we would we would definitely agree. And less is probably an understatement because there's so little, especially for starters, that anyone would need to do to make, say, an infographic current or to crop a photo. And there's so much more to Photoshop that can be explored, but it's just, you know, hands off. There, there, there's no need to get to that point just yet. For us, we just take it incrementally. There are people we work with that are a little more maybe Photoshop savvy going into the training and others that are like, you know, I've heard the words Photoshop, but I've never actually gotten to play around with it. So I'll try to tailor the training toward the skill, skill set of each person and in some ways box them in and, and, and keep it very simple from the outset. Maybe a year down the road, they're like, all right, I've mastered cropping. I've mastered uploading images. What else you got for me? And then we can see if there's more that they can do to continue to optimize the site. So if I'm an organization working uh, at the phase now of like, all right, we, it's time to refresh our quote unquote brand, our website or our graphics. Uh, obviously they can immediately just call a great believer. Let's say they're not. Let's say you are out there in the field and you're like, you know what? I wanna go with a freelancer because I don't have a huge budget. How do I navigate that world if I'm like going on to an Upwork or a 99designs? What is your advice to vetting and choosing a designer that's going to shape your your brand and then once you do how do you work with them to get uh the best quality product that is 
probably the toughest question of all. But what we would say, and there are often times where we'll speak to an organization and and we wind up not working together. That happens, of course, and we're always happy to to refer them in different directions. The kind of Upwork 99 designs of the world is a is a scary landscape to traverse. What I would say is um, it sounds old fashioned, but just make sure you can see samples of other sites they've done. Um, if they list references, great. That's a good sign. If they don't, request some. Try to speak to some of the groups that they showed you work for to really validate the process. And speaking of old fashioned, I guess I am a little old fashioned. It is so valuable to meet somebody in person before beginning a project. And if you're considering some people that are across the country, they might be great. It might work out splendidly, and, and that's great. But if you can have somebody in your region that you can meet with face-to-face, not just the, at the beginning, but also throughout the project to, to build that connection, we always find that, especially working in the nonprofit field, being able to go to the office, do a site visit, really get our hands wet and understanding the organization makes us feel so much more connected. And doing that, even with a freelancer, I think some people often say, ah, it's just a freelancer, we'll find somebody. Um, it's still your brand, it's still your communication efforts, it's the lifeblood of who you are, and it requires that kind of careful inspection before making a decision. Yeah, it's something you want to be careful about going with the, like, the cheapest option because you will get tough results uh, and things that may compound in a negative way over time uh, simply yeah. by being a, you know, sort of penny wise there. Yeah. And we always say that there's really no way to precisely quantify this, but oftentimes if you go with a freelancer or maybe a, a Squarespace template that's modified, it may end up costing you more down the road in terms of the number of hours it'll take for staff input to make changes and you may still want to do that complete overhaul a year from now because the initial endeavor really didn't capture what it was you're looking for. So I, I definitely agree with the pennywise. Is it pennywise pound foolish? Uh, it depends on it depends on what your what bit of wisdom you're trying to impart, Josh. <laughs> okay, well, I'll just I'll just end things right there. And move on <laughs> to the next question. <laughs> He's like, I'm not digging into it. Uh, okay, so wait a minute. I've, I've found uh, I've found Mrs. Wright on we'll call it 99designs, a really wonderful network for posting design opportunities where you put in a certain amount and somebody comes in, or on Upwork where that's a network of massive network, I should say, of freelancers from all over the country. Uh, you know, I put in there, I had a reasonable budget. How do I work with a designer? Now, I say this having the personal experience of knowing what happens when a designer feels like they've gotten too much input and mm -hmm. feedback from a client. Um, you know, I'll post in the, in the show notes because I have to, uh, over designing the stop sign uh, as the classic YouTube mm -hmm. video where they basically um, reverse engineer trying to create a stop sign and the client turns it into a complete disaster. Uh, can you talk about how I give feedback to, how I get the most out of working with a designer? For sure, and I can give you my perspective, which might be slightly different than that of a freelancer from Upwork or 99designs. For us, we we begin every project now, and it might sound kind of lame, but it's really effective. We have a feedback do's and don'ts in our, in our kickoff document, and it has very clear points about the ways that we, great believer, or your designer, your freelancer, 
and the organization can work together in a really seamless fashion. And some of the biggest pieces I'll give you two right now, the first is something you hear a lot, but it's still hard to put into practice. It's to reduce the numbers of, of cooks in the kitchen and find a way to build a website redesign task force. And it sounds like a pretty lofty title being part of the task force, but what it really just means is who are the key players that'll be involved throughout that'll make the ultimate decision? And who's that point person who's collecting everybody's feedback and then can send that over to your designer in a consolidated fashion and where nothing is at odds. And the example that I can give is, you know, in the past, sometimes we'll get feedback that's really just stream of consciousness. It's a forwarded email from several people and you can see the whole thread. And people have different opinions on say, should there be a carousel on the homepage or the fields to include in the donate form? And they're almost leaving it to us to decide which way to go. And we love to give our advice and our input and resort to best practices. But when there's a, an argument being waged between two different members of a team, it's hard for us to know what to do without just making both options and having the group ultimately decide. So it, be, it can become something that becomes more timely, causes the design agency to spin their wheels a little bit if the feedback isn't concise and consolidated. And the other thing that I'll say is we always try to make sure that when we get feedback, it's always forward facing. And by that, I mean, if we have an approved homepage design and a couple other pages that are approved and suddenly we get feedback on the homepage, it causes us to take three, four, five steps backward because that change to the homepage may also change how the other pages were designed. And all these things combined would lead to a, uh, you know, an extension of the timeline, which of course nobody wants. Yeah, a lot to unpack there, and certainly it's um, it's it's an art in, in many ways, rather than a, a perfect science where you can do this. And you know, the raw elements of making sure you have defined stakeholders instead of everybody, it is the right people, uh, not waiting till like the last minute to get approval from. For example, I've seen this a key stakeholder like the board potentially, if there's somebody who's like particularly interested in, or even the CEO, who at the last moment would be like, why did you design it that way? It looks ugly. <laughs> uh, yikes. Uh, there's, that's a whole other podcast, but I'm sure you have maybe – do you have any war stories? Um, maybe like some battle stories if that's some, somewhat less than a war. I mean we've – we're happy to do things to, to get buy-in. And with one group, I attended a board meeting, and the work was showcased to the board for the first time. We collected feedback. We collected thoughts, and it was really productive for me to be there. It was, it, was, it was great, and they welcomed it. That does not work with most organizations, <laughs> needless to say. Um, but it was the kind of thing where they just wanted to get Great Believer's perspective on why the website redesign was happening, why the homepage looks like this, how the rest of the site will look, to get some more buy-in. And that was, for us, it was, it was just really helpful to be there and, and really great to see the board in action. And again, it, it's, it's rare the board is that involved. Usually they're they're taking more of a backseat or having check-ins here and there. And the the kind of related notion there is once we get a feel for how that website task force plays out, who the players are, who's checking in at certain points, sometimes we'll we'll show the first round of designs just to a smaller team, maybe our point of contact and the director of communications. And then we'll undergo a round of feedback and perform some revisions to the work before it is then shown to the executive director, the board, whomever it might be. So 
in essence, the internal team of the nonprofit is functioning as a, as a filter to help improve the status of the work once it's shown and to help make the project go even more smoothly. I love that. And good, uh, good notes on there. Uh, you keep mentioning the homepage though, and this is a admitted pet peeve of mine that we call the, the front door disease. The assumption that just like a storefront on Main Street USA, that it's only the homepage that people enter on and get that first impression, which is why we we, we spend you know 80% of our designing when we talk about a website, 80% of our work and effort and rounds on this homepage, when in fact, less than 30% of people land on that homepage for their first interaction, the landing page of the site. And it's actually the long tail pages. It is the page that shows up in Google for that particular search. It is the most shared uh, resource or story of a constituent that is actually that first handshake. And sadly, the pages that get the least attention in a design remodeling. Agree or disagree, Josh? I agree wholeheartedly. And I could I could expand upon that agreement if you like. And I would just tell you that we do a couple things. Um, the homepage is a great place to start in terms of designing your site to introduce the aesthetic, to introduce the brand. But it shouldn't be the only thing that organizations see at that first design presentation. So we like to do design themes. And the theme will include a version of the homepage and a version of at least one other page designed both for desktop and mobile. So we can get a feel for how the site will look beyond just the homepage. And the connected thought here is every site that we design, we design from scratch. But we do it in a way that no page is overlooked. So we're not making just some kind of run-of-the-mill template that once the homepage is approved, that run-of-the-mill template can be duplicated 29 times to make the rest of the site. We, we work really hard to make sure that through the design process, we focus on each page. So to your point, if 70% don't come from the homepage, they should still be seeing something meaningful and something that's been given a lot of attention and thought both from a content, um, a copy perspective, as well as an aesthetic perspective. And whatever that page is they enter from, it shouldn't be a dead end. There needs to be somewhere they can go next beyond the navigation. So whether it's a, a staff page leading to careers or an impact page leading to the donation page, we wanna bridge those gaps as much as we can. You just used the word templates. Are you pro or con website templates? We could not be more con. All right, I'll take the pro side, ready? I've never done this before, but you have to support your argument and I will come back with counter argument. And this is pro-con for the first time. You're up, Josh. I think you need some kind of a theme music for pro-con. Dude, Megan's all over it. Megan, theme music, we're doing this. All right. <laughs> pro, Okay, so go. can you explain? Um, so I'm doing the pros of not using templates? Support your opinion, man. Okay, let's do it. So just to, to reiterate what I said, not using templates creates a website that feels more unique throughout. As somebody goes from page to page, the experience varies, and they feel like they're on uh, an adventure that's covering different state lines versus being stuck in a cage. But Josh, templates are amazing because they're designed for mobile automatically. They've already been designed in a way that people are familiar with on the web. I can go to Squarespace and just click, click, click and get something that looks super sweet and just throw my logo on it. And sudden, suddenly it looks like I had a, you know, a major designer do things. Every single device, I didn't even have to build it for that. It's all set. What do you say to that? 
Well, George, you could do that. You you certainly could go the Squarespace route. You can go the Wix route. You can get something up probably in a couple of days, maybe even a couple of hours if you're really diligently focused on it. The problem there is that your website will look like 11,595,000 other websites that exist. And especially when you're trying to separate yourself from peer organizations, peers that are operating in a similar space, doing similar things, it's so important to find a way to differentiate yourself besides our logo is different. And oh yeah, our fonts and colors are also different. With templates though, haven't I in many ways future-proofed it when there's another update and I have to update this or that plugin, something always breaks. But if I've gone with a template, there's another firm and another company just automatically updating this stuff for me. Doesn't that save me a ton of money? I would say that there is definitely, you've definitely made a point there, but when it comes to the updates, it's, yes, it may take a little bit to have somebody check your site monthly to make updates to the plugins and to make sure everything's running smoothly, but the amount that you'll gain by having a site that's uniquely yours is a hundred times over, a million times over, worth a small investment on a, on a monthly basis to make sure things are functioning properly. Weren't we talking about the fact that being able to edit my own site is super important? Don't templates like allow me to just tinker with the exact spots I need? And can't that only be done with templates that I use off the shelf? Templates, templates can be easy to update. However, if you're working within Squarespace and you start to modify things, with each modification, it becomes more and more challenging. And it's not to say it's impossible, but there is sort of a, a curve that is thrown into the mix once you keep working. Whereas everything we're doing, we're doing from scratch here at Great Believer. And everything we build, we build from scratch, mostly through WordPress in a way that's really easy to manage. And we've compared our backends to that of Squarespace and to that of other WordPress websites. And we always hear when we do our training sessions, I get it. You know, we'll, we'll we'll plan for two hours. We can go through all the pages, and 40 minutes in, the client says, "Yeah, I get it. I already made that change you're talking about. This makes sense. It's clear. I'm with you." So, in essence, we're we like to see it as a best of both worlds approach. It's it's built from scratch. It's built for you, but it's built in a way that you can manage it like a boss moving forward. Thank you for playing pro con for the very first time on using the whole whale. We'll see we'll see what the audience thinks. It's up to you to decide. <laughs> oh yeah, you should you should include some kind of a poll alongside this, you this know, podcast. Podcast listeners are just trying to get to work. Um, they they never do a thing, but yeah, <laughs> sure, we'll put a poll in there, and if you're really fired up about it, tweet uh, tweet Josh. Okay, <laughs> Josh, we are moving into our uh, our rapid fire round, but before we do, I had a final question here, just to give people some benchmarks on how much this going to cost, right? How much is the pricing on these different tiers? What is the minimum viable amount of money I need to spend to get something decent? That is that is the ultimate question. And for me to answer is really challenging. And that sounds like a cop-out. And partially it is, because it, it is on such a case-to-case basis in terms of how a website will work. I could say for starters, if if you're looking to spend hundreds, not thousands, then a vendor like Great Believer is probably not the right source for you. It might be best off to have um, a freelancer or maybe even do the work in-house. But when it comes to our process, which starts with discovery and stakeholder interviews, content strategy, then we get into our user experience, sitemap, wireframes, 
design, development, maintenance, hosting. There are so many pieces that factor in. So I'm definitely reticent to throw a number out there because I'm, you know, you just never know. And we, we do have a very flexible pricing model. I think the, the simplest way to look at it is that this is more, much more in the, the thousands of dollars realm than the hundreds of dollars. There we go. All right, rapid fire time. Short answers to tough questions. Here we go. Okay, so what is one tech tool or website that you started using or your organization started using in the past year that is Awesome Sauce? Mm, awesome Sauce is a high bar to hit, but I really do like using a tool called Built With. It's builtwith.com. And I cannot tell you for sure. I, it probably is older than a year, but what it is is you go to builtwith.com, you punch in any website address, and it serves up what's under the hood. What's the content management system? Where is the website hosted? What's its domain provider? What kind of plugins does it use? Does it have analytics? Does it have some sort of A-B testing, optimizing system? All that stuff. And for us, we love it as a tool to use when we're approaching new clients or preparing for a conversation because whereas we used to spend 25 minutes asking all those questions, and oftentimes the groups we speak to wouldn't know they would need to ask their tech person, we can come in with those questions answered, and, and then we're off to the races. What is coming up in the next year that has you most excited? For us, in terms of the way we build websites, and again, leaning heavily on WordPress, we're starting to do more in terms of building WordPress backends that are much more modular. And by that, I mean... Instead of having endless sort of approaches to pages, and this is this is kind of interesting because in some ways it it connects to this template versus non-template argument, but I'll still make a case that it's different. Um, we'll build. We're looking to build sites that are more modular, and by that I mean we'll have kind of like a comprehensive set of tools and tiers and different pieces that can come into play throughout the website. So we'll still build the site like we would before, every page built from scratch, but then if the client says, I wanna be able to make a ton of pages moving forward, pages that use all different pieces of pages you've already made, we'll have this system that kind of functions as like a, a paint by numbers, where you can take one piece from one page, one piece from the other, merge them all together into something that feels fresh and feels new, while still staying connected to the core aesthetic of the site and gives even more control to the organization moving forward. Talk about a mistake you've made in your career that shapes how you do things today. Biggest mistake we've made is trying to do everything and not, not staying in our lane. And without naming names, for us it's really about, we. it took time to find out exactly what we're great at and the best quality service we can provide. And we found that out the hard way a couple times. It was a great lesson and we just try to do our best to stay with what works and stay with what we can deliver really high quality products around. Do you believe that not-for-profits can successfully go out of business? I do believe that those that are perhaps cause-related, like those that support gay marriage, um, maybe those that are more timely, like something that's been founded and put into practice to survive the political climate, could. Um, if they hit their goals, they definitely can. I think there are other nonprofits, for example, something like idealist that is just always going to be extremely important or even your old stomping grounds do something more of these informational kind of aggregate nonprofits will always be useful to connect people to different groups in the space what is something that you think either you or your organization should stop doing 
we should stop agreeing to work on projects that are moving at warp speed. And we should be a little more careful upfront, talk to organizations about the value of adding two weeks, one month, two months to the time frame in terms of the ultimate product that will relate. And if it's if it's still worth kind of expediting the process, we're always, always proponents of time, both for the organization so they could have more time to digest the work and share it internally and for us so we can be more thoughtful about the work we share. And finally, if you had a Harry Potter wand, a magical wand that could change one thing about the nonprofit industry, what would it be and what would it do? That's a good one. I, the first thing that comes to mind for me is I would point that wand at every organization that is about to or just launched a new website and do everything that wand can do to make sure that that organization keeps their website up to date. There's so many times where a website is launched and one month later, um, it's the same exact content in the carousel. The event page has not been updated. No new press releases have, has been, have been added to the site. And we're so keen on keeping things timely that I would just say, everybody uh, attend to your website. You just spent five months in the process. Do everything in your power to keep it current and keep people coming back and finding out new content. A keep it fresh wand. I love it. All right, Josh. Thank you so much for being a guest, sharing your knowledge, and uh, let people know how they can find you and how they can help you. Sure. Best way to find us is our website, which is greatbeliever.us. Take a look at some of our work, get to know some of our believers, get to know our process a little more. In terms of help, anyone that wants to spread the word would be forever indebted to. If there are any designers, developers out there looking for um, perhaps a new avenue, especially those that are more inclined towards socially responsible organizations, we'd love to hear from you. Well, again, thank you for sharing your wisdom. Lots of nuggets here for folks, and I appreciate your time. Thanks, Josh. Thank you, George. Appreciate it. I think the design process when you're getting into it, especially around a redesign of a website is the most critical part because it's the part that people have the most input on, be it good or bad, because it's tangible. You don't really hear a CEO or a board member saying, I don't like the way you coded that CRM integration on the back end because there's a lot of cruft in it. Did you make sure that you cached all of that or this? It's really about design where everyone becomes an expert. So I was really having fun pushing Josh on the ideas around getting the most out of your designer. How do you give feedback? How do you manage this process? Because it is um, it is a tough one. It can be a minefield and making that choice of who you work with, getting the most uh, out of the dollars you spend is important. And it does matter. We are in a very superficial environment when it comes to design and how people immediately judge your organization by the website, by the, you know, the way your content is packaged. Uh, and that, that holds true for the design elements that make it out there in the infographics and on the socials. So it's a topic that matters. Uh, and uh, I had some fun hearing how Josh, uh, Josh approaches it. 
the resources we went through so many different websites i took a list uh, you'll find them all this is episode 75 you'll find them all listed on wholewhale.com slash podcast and just find this episode thanks for joining us hope you got something out of it today this has been using the whole whale stories of data and technology in the social impact world Resources, as always, may be found at wholewhale.com slash podcast. Thanks for joining us. Today's music brought to you by Greg Thomas, a fantastic, fantastic musician, and he can pretty much put a beat to anything you can imagine. Craigthomasmusic.org, how you find him.